Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome to the show. We're going to do things a little differently today. No 30-second summary, just a lot of answers for this, our third Q&A episode. We sent out word through all of our social media for you to ask us anything, and my goodness, did all of you reply. We did edit the questions down for time restraints and content, and all those gushy parts, they are so flattering. I love reading them all, and it just gives me a warm feeling to know that you guys really like what you hear, but they're really hard to read out loud, so I kind of took those out too. Sorry. So, curtsies to you all, much blushing in evidence, infinite amounts of thank yous, and of course, the inevitable toe, scrabbling a circle in the dirt, pshaw, thank you, um... We don't know what to say. We really appreciate all of you. And so, without further ado, on with the show. Our first question is from HeatherBarn23 on Instagram. If you could create a historically accurate show about one of your subjects, who would it be? I think my show would be about Josephine Baker. I think there's enough facts known about her life in and of themselves. They are extremely dramatic. There needs to be no embellishments for entertainment's sake. Just telling her story as it is would draw people in to the show because she lives such a dramatic down in the gutter, back up to the top life. And then how she died. You know, if you wrote that in a movie, no one would believe it. So Josephine Baker would definitely be my story. And I am going to go with definitely Marie Laveau. The lack of hmm, (laughs) non-hysterical, historically accurate anyway, portrayals of her in any media led me this last episode to boycott the whole fictional section of the media recommendations. Um, It's a wide open field, Sofia Coppola. You know, take note. She wasn't a satanic, evil, demon warrior, as if I really have to say that. My goodness. But do we ever need a good movie about Marie Laveau? I think she deserves it. She has been mistreated. So that's my pick. Tom on Facebook wants to know, do either of you think that there are any historical female role models who have been discredited by history or any in particular who were vilified in their day and vindicated by history? I would have to say all of them, you know, women were not written down in the history books as closely and accurately as men. They didn't leave as much for us to find. And if they did, it was really hidden and written into the narratives of the men in their lives. So in some way, all female historical role models have been discredited a little bit by history just by leaving the facts of their life out. However, if I were to pick one in particular, it would be Joan of Arc. I don't think that she was given the credit for what she did. I think her story was left behind by people who didn't want her to look anything like a hero. You know, as soon as she died, there was questions of her being insane and immoral. So that would be my answer, would be Joan of Arc. I agree. I think all female role models are somewhat discredited by history just by virtue of them having to have defied and overcome cultural norms even to be noticed in the first place. And that kind of behavior and or intelligence was often portrayed as immorality, even during their life. It's a cheap shot, and it's one that usually sticks, unfortunately. But if the question is a specific woman, I'm going to go with Hatshepsut, female king of Egypt, whose successors after she died took care to, I mean, travel the world with what amounted to pickaxes and whatnot to beat the faces off all her statues. 
That's how serious they were about erasing her legacy, who built their monuments over hers so that her story would be hidden, literally hidden in space and time. How's that for an answer? Woo. Well, um, as a matter of fact, I should post pictures of two statues of Hot Chapsut, one that made it safely, probably by being buried somewhere or in an obscure place, and one that got found by the Pickaxe Patrol. I'll post them on Instagram. Lindsay on Facebook asked a few questions. Um, I've narrowed them down to two. If you could visit any historical site in the world and had an unlimited budget, where would you visit? And which of the queens covered in the podcast would you want to live under as a subject? I hate to be trite or expected or whatnot, but unlimited money, you say, that might just buy me the services of a Versailles historian and a conservator. And I would like nothing more than an in-depth behind the scenes. I mean, one that takes weeks to accomplish. I did get a behind the scenes tour of a Newport mansion at the Elms. And I loved it so much. Seeing all the secret things that weren't on the regular tour, I can only imagine what would happen at Versailles, especially with two, you know, two. Let's just, you know, I'm not going to be crazy with my unlimited money. Two experts to travel around with me and give me all the secrets that uh, no one else gets to know. That would be my ideal. I would have to say I'd want to visit England and Scotland if I could squeeze it in. Um, I'd like to piggyback on Beckett's trip to Versailles. <laughs> but yeah, there's been so many women that crossed through England or ruled England or had their stories take place in England. Quite honestly, just seeing Beatrix Potter's place would make me so happy. So England and Scotland. Which queens covered under the podcast would I want to live under as a subject? None. There were no tampons. There were no antibiotics. There was no Tylenol. But I suppose if I had to pick one, I would pick Elizabeth I. She seems to have calmed down the country during her reign, and she had a lot of power, and she knew how to use it. So I think I would have felt very comfortable as a woman living under Elizabeth's rule. However, I don't think I would have felt as comfortable as a woman as I do in modern times. But this is one of those times traveling questions that I don't like to answer. Now, I do agree with you that in general, time travel questions kind of require us to put aside the fact that it wasn't really awesome to be a woman in really any era until, you know, relatively modern day. So putting aside the plumbing um, and also the misogynistic nature of most of history, I would say I have to disagree about Elizabeth. She's too emotionally volatile for me. What I need is an Eleanor. I need an Eleanor who's intelligent and calm and thinks 17 steps ahead and doesn't fly off the handle and doesn't micromanage. <laughs> that would be me, beloved ever people, um, head full of brains uh, not in my face. Hugs Chris on Twitter wants to know which subjects surprised you the most. Like you thought you knew all about her, but there was so, so, so much more. That question was also asked by Jennifer on Facebook, along with who would you most like to be your friend? Okay, so you referred to Josephine Baker earlier as someone who has a dire need of a realistic portrayal in fiction. And I'm going to say... She's the one that surprised me the most. And I knew all about her entertainment career, you know, the skirt full of bananas or made of bananas. And the fact that America treated people of color so badly that she moved to France to find acceptance. But I learned about her bravery during World War II. I mean, how many tens of thousands of lives did she save by writing letters in invisible ink at embassy parties and sticking them in her, you know, garments? 
how much um, did she do for morale during the war? Her generosity, her humanitarianism, the depth of character. I just had no idea about that part. And I honestly, during research, felt quite ashamed that I hadn't given her the benefit of that doubt. So not only is it a good story, it was also a wonderful surprise. I think Jane Austen surprised me the most because I didn't want to cover her in the first place. I thought her life story, there wasn't enough information out there to cover it properly. And quite honestly, I was not a fan. So covering the life of this quiet woman in England was not my first choice. But I was quite surprised when I found out that there is enough out there on her and and the depth of her personality and her wit just amazed me. Okay, it's funny that you say that because in my mind, if somebody could run Jane Austen through a modern day training course, she and I would get along like no tomorrow. She, of all people, would have benefited from living at a different time when there were more horizons for women. And I can just see us sitting on that side porch, drinking pink wine or French 75s in our super tall shoes, talking bad about people and good about books. And you should all be very afraid of modern Jane's Twitter feed. That is what I have to say about Jane Austen. I actually think Jane Austen, she would be uh, the best of friends. I would love to hang out with her. As a friend, I would have to say I'd like to hang with Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Yeah, she would rule a conversation and she would have that saber wit that she has and that intellect. And later in her life, she'd be like that kind of kooky friend who says stuff and you just kind of laugh at it because, oh, that's just Elizabeth, you know. Um, so I think think I could be friends with Elizabeth Cady Stanton. I would be definitely like not in the, you know, leadership role of that friendship, but I think I think that would be okay. Lady and Manor, Chris at No Extra Words, Morgan Hannah F, T Sams, and Mel M Wells, all from Twitter, I believe, want to know about our origin story, our backgrounds, our childhoods, our work fields, college majors, other jobs, how we met. And are you both in Missouri? Where did our interest in history come from? Oh, my goodness. That is a long question. Um, I think Beckett does a great job of telling our how we met stories. So I will let her do that. Um, my personal background, I am not from Missouri. I am from Connecticut. Um, I came here via Pittsburgh, Chicago, Decorah, Iowa, La Crosse, Wisconsin, Oskaloosa, Iowa, Olathe, Kansas, and now I live um, north of Kansas City proper, probably about, uh, it's 25 miles, but about 40 minutes from Beckett. My background, uh, my degree is in communications, concentration on uh, public relations. I did work in my field as an event planner for quite a long time. I actually was a stay-at-home mom as soon as my first child was born. We moved, and getting a job was impossible um, in the small town we were in, and I had a new baby, and it was such a huge adjustment that I started staying home, and I stayed home until a few years ago, but um, I'm actually still at home because I work from here, and uh, I'm a writer. I'm the oldest of the four children of two symphony musicians. My mother is a French horn player, and my dad is a bassist, and I studied theater and English at college. And people keep thinking I am from Newport, but I am not from Newport. I did live in Rhode Island for a few years um, and worked in Boston. That was quite a commute, by the way. But no, I uh, grew up in Wichita, Kansas. I now live in Kansas City in a neighborhood near downtown of old houses with coal bin holes and no driveways and stone basements and 
resident mouses, all the things that come with houses that are over 100 years old. As for the origin story or the history chicks, I think we have told this story every Q&A episode, but I don't mind telling it again. A long time ago in 2010, I had become enamored with the Gilded Age heiresses that married into the titled aristocracy. I had read a book called To Marry an English Lord, which incidentally also inspired Downton Abbey. So we are cousins, uh, media-wise, of Julian Fellows. I feel pretty proud of that. Anyway, I went looking for more podcasts. I worked as a commercial interior designer at the time. I had nothing but time to listen as I had no colleagues. <laughs> See, that's that's an excellent gig if you can get that. But anyway, I had ample time to listen to podcasts and I wanted to add women's history shows to my roster. And to my great surprise, there really weren't any of the depth that I really felt like I would like. And so I thought, well, I guess... I have to make one. If, if no one else is making it, I guess that is going to be me. And so I started to think about who I would like to have as a co-host. And this woman stood out that I had met on an online mom's board. We're so modern, Susan and I, aren't we? We met online. But she was eloquent and funny and seemed not like me which also was very important to me. And so I reached out to her. I got her phone number and I called her house. Keep in mind, we'd never spoken. And I reached her husband who said, <laughs> as many people still say, what's a podcast? And when I explained in the easiest way possible that it was an internet radio show, he said, well, that sounds like something she might want to do. So we met Susan and I for a pie or cheesecake, I can't remember which, at a restaurant. I had brought my Yeti microphone in my purse as a inducement. I don't know. I was always good with prop work in theater. But anyway, we agreed to start researching Marie Antoinette and the rest, as they say, is history. My interest in history actually comes from Beckett. I was one of those people, and I know there's a lot of you listening that are like this, um, I hated history in high school. I got a D in AP history one semester because it was so boring. It was about men and dates and battles and treaties and the dates of those battles and treaties and of these men that had, they didn't have any dimension to them and it was very, very dry. So I really wasn't interested in history until I realized that it was about people. And once I got that, it was like a light bulb, serious light bulb moment in my life. And that honestly didn't happen until I met Beckett. Well, that just makes me, I don't even know what, something sad, happy every time you tell somebody that. So thank you very much for that. Um, I fell in love with history at the age of around seven or eight. I was given that yellow box set of the Little House on the Prairie series. And in, I think it's the first book, little Laura and her pa and her whole family are very cozy and there's firelight and you know, there's music from Pa's violin and Laura has a thought and it, she's so kind of confused about the days of Auld Lang Syne, the days of a long time ago. And she is thinking, well, I now is now, right? It can never be a long time ago. And then you start to realize as you're reading it that like, oh my gosh, that little girl from a long time ago is the same as you reading it now, which will one day be a long time ago. Maybe I was just a nerd as a child. I don't know. But that really, really made me realize that history is nothing more than the people who happened to be walking down the road before you. They have the same hopes and dreams as you do. Um, their circumstances are different 
this culture they live in might be different, but they're just people and history is nothing more than their stories. And that was an eye opener for me. Jessica on Facebook. What would an uncut episode be like? <laughs> what are you editing out? I like to think you both swear like sailors and have big but kind arguments. Um, well, kind of, except the argument part. <laughs> and I'm the only one that swears. Beckett has a very, she has a good vocabulary and she uses it properly. And I um, cuss. So yeah, those get edited out. What? <sighs> Quite honestly, you'd hear me stutter. I stutter sometimes. And it's like when I'm trying to get thoughts out really fast and my brain is moving faster than my mouth. So that would be in there and us tripping over words. And I don't know. It, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Beckett should add a um, unedited section of something here so that you can hear what it sounds like. I, that's all I got. <laughs> Well, I do not know about that, but I will jump in here as the one that edits to say that I, at least 12 to 45 minutes of us catching up before every single episode. We used to be in the same room when we talked and I didn't have the recording going. And, um, you know, we'd use that time to go make coffee or Leela around or, or whatnot. But now that we record remotely and we don't talk because we try not to talk before each episode so we don't contaminate each other's, you know, research or whatever. We have to talk about the garden and the thing and the TV show and so-and-so's son is so tall and the shoes are like boats. And I mean, I cut out sometimes almost an hour of that. Uh, laughing hysterically, yes. Often there will be equipment failure, by the way, and Susan will say some salty words. Yes, she is the one that curses. I cut out a lot of garbage trucks and loud cars and kid interruptions by phone and in person. Sometimes I record whole telephone calls and I think, mm, I better take that out. Uh, once there was a giant dog with a cone on its head that burst into my house. I also think I had to clean up pee, my own, on that one. I don't know. I caught that on tape. I don't remember which episode it was. Maybe I could find that. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, yeah, Susan is the sailor, vocabulary-wise. Though if you saw us, you'd think it was me. Um, there's an irony in the fact that if I curse, I usually just leave it in and bleep it because it's so surprising that it always makes Susan laugh, which is hard for me to cut out. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So anyway, we um, let's see. What do we argue about? Maybe about religion, but not argue. We discuss about religion, but I, I usually cut that out, even though it's pretty respectful. And um, there would be a lot more ums and, you know, Hida on Instagram asks, will you ever do a behind the scenes video or a video version of one of your shows? Hmm. Well, um, I've never thought about a behind the scenes video. I don't know why that would be interesting because quite honestly, right now, quite honestly, right now I'm in a blanket fort in my basement. So it's not all that interesting. A video version of your shows. Yes, we have actually talked about that, but that's one of our expansion plans and um, time is really just not allowing it right now. Yes, yes. Our expansion plan. I have to tell you, we have been meaning to do a live show for a million years and I just think it's equipment fair that is keeping us from doing it. I could probably make a phone call to that radio station that I'm always on and somebody would come and Help us. I just need to do it. Yes, I do. Maybe I've been spurred to action. Um, as to the regular episodes, I don't know. Susan's blanket fort's pretty cute. Maybe she should post a picture. But in, And Susan likes to take selfies. Maybe she could record her side-in video. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sitting here at a giant dining room table that seats 14. Um, it is wooden, and there is a lot of junk on it. So I don't know how ready for TV 
either of our um, environments really is. I do have lipstick on. Um, I don't know. Let's table that. It is a possibility that we'll probably have to clean. Stephanie on Facebook wants to know, would you ever have a fan as a guest host? I'm sure there are a lot of people who would love to guest host. Well, Stephanie on Facebook, I don't think we've ever thought about that before. We don't do guest hosts. I mean, it's not in our format, but we're also not, you know, people who aren't adaptive and never say never is kind of a motto. So I am certainly not against it. I think we'd probably have to try it out with someone who listens to the show and is local first and quite possibly somebody that we both know. So it would be a comfortable situation to make mistakes in. But sure, I don't see why that wouldn't be possible. Sarah Krogmeyer, Kiwi Super, T. Sams, all on Instagram, and the Ladies from the WEC podcast. Hi, guys. On Twitter, would like to know, when are you going to do a meet and greet as discussed in a previous Q&A? Hmm. Yeah, we want to. We keep coming up with um, plans. We kind of did a little something with a college-level graduate class that was so much fun, but this is not a full-time gig for us, so finding the time for that is really, really hard. Susan is being incredibly kind and not pointing out that I am a giant introvert. And the thought of a meet and greet is giving me agita. But I love you all. And I do want to meet you. Yes, I do. So I have to think about that. Susan would probably do one tomorrow. Maybe she should just go and take a picture of me. Although you can't really find a picture of me. Oh, it's a troublesome situation for Susan. But you know what? We shall overcome. I do think a meet and greet is not beyond the realm of possibility. Zen Wenchmo on Instagram asks, if you were to do another podcast, what other subject matter might you like to tackle? Well, I think as far as history goes, I really like when we do the movie cast. I'm having a whole lot of fun with the Anne of Green Gables because it sends us out into different areas um, that we normally wouldn't talk about. And it's it's just, I don't know. I like the format of those. I think they're fun. So if we... if we were to break off. That's where I first would think to go. Um, selfishly, and I've been thinking about this for a while, just on my own, um, I would like to do a chapter by chapter reading of my novels that are not published. They're just, you know, trunk file novels. And maybe that's what I'll even call it. Just, I don't expect an audience. I just want, I don't know, just, I just think it'll be fun. Or maybe have a little book club with one of my friends or one of my really bad novels. I think it would be I think it would be a lot of fun to do that um, and totally selfish and self-centered. And but I just think it would be kind of fun to do. I do think a book podcast wouldn't be amiss, definitely, as to um, history and more TV and movie recaps like what we're doing with Anne with an E. Although in deference to people who aren't following those particular shows, we might have to break those off to another show entirely if we're going to do any more of those. Um, we've got requests for the crown, for one. I am super intrigued by that. I am down to get into her life. And she's still alive. Do you see how much of a bonus that is? I'm willing to cover it, and she's still alive. So if our network would be into it, we might be too. So that is definitely an exciting prospect that we are going to pursue. Chris, our friend um, over at No Extra Words Podcast, asked, has the show concept changed or evolved from how you imagined at the beginning? Well, that's kind of on Beckett because the whole idea was hers and she came to me and it was already formed in her mind. So as far as I know, 
I think that it's pretty close. I mean, we're obviously more comfortable with each other. We're more comfortable talking. Um, Our research patterns are different and they have evolved. I mean, we've been doing this for six and a half years. That's a long time to be doing something. So yes, we're going to have evolved, but I don't think that it's all that different from the original concept. I am going to agree. All the elements are there. You've got your 30-second summary, you're placed in history, your media recommendations. Uh, We have got more comfortable talking, that's for sure. Honestly, Arg, if you hear Marie Antoinette, you could hide your face. You could. (laughs) Um, Sound quality hmm, varies. We try different equipment. We try different things. We've never reached NPR status. And, you know, we may never. And that's just a fact. I'm at a giant table, as I said before, and Susan's in a blanket fort. So we can't compete with old Ira Glass in his multimedia studio and his engineers. Um, But, you know, what else has happened? We've gotten more thorough. I think the shows have gotten longer and comfortably and surprisingly so. We'll look up and realize, oh, my gosh, we've recorded two and a half hours of raw audio, which honestly comes back down to about an hour and a half. But um, yeah, we even surprise ourselves. We get into it so much and just start talking and talking and are so excited to share with each other. And I think our comfort level with research has resulted in longer episodes. Kim Boudreaux on Instagram wants to know, what do you find most inspiring about studying history? For me, it's kind of the moment when I get it. I get the person. I understand her. I can see, you know, a little bit of her motivation. A lot of times these women, some of them I've never actually even heard of. So they're very one dimensional. But once you start researching and learn a little bit more about them, there's a moment when you kind of break through that and she becomes a multidimensional person. And that moment inspires me to do the rest. We have a very similar answer to this question. I love the little flashes of regular old humanity that you get in this otherwise kind of cardboard cutout figure from history. Josephine Baker bankrupt, sitting on the steps of her former house. Marie Antoinette's despair at the treatment of her son, which I will never get over ever, by the way. Lucille Ball hoarding pencils because of her impoverished childhood. Clara Bow using her red wallpaper as lipstick. Clara Barton crying in the hallway after she opens a gift that was not for the soldiers, but for her to thank her for all of her hard work. And at last, she was able to let the tension go. Little things like that make the woman real. Um, I just love it. That's what I live for, those moments. Our next question comes from Susanna over at Facebook. Hi, Susanna. How on earth do you both manage to read so many books so quickly? You do so much research for each episode, and sometimes the episodes come out so quickly that when I look at the amount of time you had and books you read, I'm dazzled by the amount of research you're able to complete. (laughs) Dazzled. We're dazzling. I love that. Okay. Sometimes for people like Eleanor of Aquitaine or um, Elizabeth I or... Eleanor Roosevelt, who we haven't actually covered, we know we're going to be covering them in the future. So we start researching kind of casually in our, quote, free time. We have about three, that three-week period that we have between shows is pretty much focused on the woman. I mean, literally obsessed over the woman for that amount of time. And like I said, a lot of times she was already in our head. We had her basic life down already. And I know we recommend books. Um, we only recommend the books we like. It doesn't mean those are the only research materials we used, 
but um, they're the ones that we could suggest that other people read for whatever reason. But I don't often, I'll read a full biography, like the one that get has the best reviews or whatever. Um, and then from there, I can kind of skip through it a little bit. Like, I don't really care about architecture. And a lot of biographies would have a detailed explanation of how they built their mansion or whatever. And I don't give a rip. So I would skip that part, to be perfectly honest with you. So it's not like I'm reading, you know, seven full books. I kind of skip and choose the parts that I want to read because I want more information on that specific area of the woman's life. The ones that I personally recommend, I have read the majority of, if not all. So it's not as dazzling, I suppose, as it seems. I read all the time. I read very quickly and I remember most of what I read. I always have. It's not something I learned to do or picked up. And honestly, my brain is a repository of useless trivia. And so if I can just get at it, there's a lot of information in there that, to draw from. So that's good. And I'm honestly probably reading years ahead right now. I once did a contest called the Centurion's 100 Books of mm, 2010, maybe. Every book except one of my friend's fiction books was a history book. And so I read nonfiction for fun. Hmm. That's kind of sad. But anyway, so um, yes, I read all the time. And I really do read all the books, even if I don't really like them. Our next question is from Gretchen Blow on Twitter. Where is your favorite location to read slash research? Do you prefer ebook or hard copy? Well, Gretchen, favorite doesn't mean that's where I get to do it. Um, we seriously, we have books or audiobooks or, you know, a, a device in our hands at all times. There's always, or at least in our purse. Um, so before the baseball game, I'm reading. Uh, while I'm waiting to pick up a kid, I'm reading. Uh, when I'm walking through the grocery store, I'll be listening to a biography or something related to the upcoming show. Um, I like to walk. I listen to ebooks when I walk. It makes me walk farther. So my favorite location to read or research would be probably be a library, but I can't do that. I rarely, rarely, rarely do that. I would hardly say it's my favorite, but I read mostly while at baseball practice or in the car. Uh, parking lots, pickup lines. Um, I, you know, I stack up books in the car. I have books in my handbag. Um, my favorite place to read, though, is this big, old, giant yellow armchair in the living room that we're never going to be able to get rid of because it is so cozy and everybody kind of hovers around until the person in it leaves. So that chair with a big Victorian quilt on and Henry the cat sitting on my lap is my favorite place. But that is a rare animal indeed because I hardly ever get the chair, number one, and I hardly ever get to sit down in the house. So um, I have to say the seat of my car. And as to audiobooks, I love audiobooks and I read them all the time. Here's another plug for that app Libby that I like that's free, 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 free and hooks up to your library card. So I like audiobooks too. There's a time and a place for those. But as to ebooks, I just... I don't know. I think I need the feel. I need the smell. I even have this candle by this company called CB I Hate Perfume, and it's called In the Library, and I even burn that. That's how much I like the smell of books. 
Um, man, there's just something about a library. And the older the book gets, the better it is. Teresa on Facebook would like to know, how do you stay so organized to put out these podcasts, both with the content of the podcast and your real lives? I don't really think it's appropriate for me to post a picture of the seat of my pants. <laughs> oh, organize. That's so cute. Um, you just, like anything, I guess, you just know where you have to be at what time and you do the steps you need to do to get there. So if we're recording on a Friday, I know that by Friday I better have all my notes in gear or I'm going to let back it down and I don't like to do that. The notes function on my iPhone is an overused and underappreciated piece of equipment around here. Um, organized. I don't know. Such a foreign word. I guess a back off list. So um, like you do, you do when you go anywhere. If we have to be there at eight, we need to leave by 730. We need to get dressed by seven. So laundry in by five, which means we have to be done at the store at 430. It's like just a bigger version of that. And also not sleeping. Mary on Facebook would like to know, what is the hardest part about research? Contradicting facts or lack of information on subjects? You've both spoken highly of your libraries, but sometimes books can have different opinions based on opinions around the time of publication. <laughs> the hardest part about research is, for me, is all of that. It's so frustrating when there's a lack of information on subjects. Um, I don't get all of my information from books. I, that It's probably the lion's share. But even then, it's comparing and contrasting across a couple or three different authors. Because, yeah, they're all contradictory. And you're right. Opinions do change through time and as more information is known. So we need to look at... Um, you know, when the book was published and when the information was gathered and really just, you know, find the consensus. A lot of times you'll hear us say there's varying opinions on this because, you know, there's books that are written about the same time that have two different opinions about how something went down. And they are both experts in their field and they both believe their opinions just as much as the other person. So, yeah, all of that is really difficult. Um, and I think, you know, we try to present when there's, you know, so many conflicting stories, all of the conflicting versions. You do have to be careful, especially in women's history, which seems to go through these fashionable cycles and get also filtered through hostile authors. You have to be so careful. And always you do want to look at dates and who references which of the other books you have. Otherwise, you might be faced, believe it or not, with someone perpetuating something. Ugh, it's just madness. Like all the Marie Laveau madness we just went through to get to the final consensus. And if we can't determine it, or more importantly, if no one can agree, like Susan said, we usually just present both or at least we might tell you what prejudices we're coming to a subject with. I'm reminded of what we said before we covered Zelda Fitzgerald. I mean, there are people who are Team Scott Fitzgerald. There are people equally as Team Zelda. There's no reconciling those two sides. There's none. And both sides are vehement and both sides are believers and um, well-versed in their history. We just had to come down on one side or the other and just tell you that there's a whole See of other sides that believe Scott was the hero of that story. So uh, we just try to be open and honest with where we are coming from, too, with our own hearts. Laura on Facebook would like to know, how do you organize your notes into an order to read? Do you essentially write out a script? Is it more just pages of notes in chronological order that you use as a guide and go from there? 
Uh, actually, it's mostly the last one. We cover a subject from birth to death. So that kind of gives us an outline. We have to talk about it off mic um, to find where we put something that is like a lifelong thing that's going on that you want to get a story arc in. But where did you put Where did the other person put it? And then we'll adjust our own notes for that. But it is not a script. Not at all. We It's a conversation. So there's something we want to say. If we find a way to use the word juxtaposition, for instance, I might write that down or, you know, a phrasing that I I really liked. I'll write that down in my notes. But as for a script, no, we don't read it off the script. There's pages and pages and pages of notes just hung on an outline. No script. Amy on Facebook would like to know a couple things. She wants to know about our process. How do you decide on each person we profile? How much time do we spend researching and do you collaborate with each other on the research? Is this your main gig? I'm a curious busybody. That's okay, Amy. That's what we do this for. How do we decide on each person? We have a list. It's very, very, very long. And um, we actually just decide from our gut. Beckett's gut especially is really spot on. So if we're torn if like I want to cover one person she wants to cover somebody else we'll go with her gut because her gut is never ever ever been wrong but we try to pick women from different eras from different um, cultures all around the globe to try and mix things up we sometimes because we could easily be stuck in the gilded age era you know we could cover that for a year and still not <laughs> still not talk about everything. Um, we could do a whole other spinoff show about suffragists. I mean, that would be so easy. There are so many and they each had this, you know, really brave, smart story behind them. So we just kind of have to force ourselves to go in other places rather than being stuck in our comfort zone. We do not collaborate at all. We take special pains not to collaborate. In fact, we are fearful of speaking to each other about anything, lest we slide into subject mode and reveal some things that we wanted to keep for a surprise when the mic was live. So we definitely don't talk about the episodes beforehand. We live in different library systems, which is very handy. Susan has a different perspective on things than I do. And we always come up with different things, especially on the internet. Um, different rabbit holes for people to go down. There's nothing we like more than to recommend media to you because no matter how quickly we speak and how much detail we go into, there's always more out there. And our goal is to inspire you guys to go out and learn for yourselves. So we take pains to get some readily readily accessible materials for you so that you can continue the search on your own. would like to know some of the historical women you profile I've never heard of. How did you become interested in some of the more obscure figures? How did you find out about them in the first place? Well, a lot of them you guys recommend. 
Our friend Donald Draper, he was one of our original listeners, and we befriended each other. He one day sent us an email and said, you guys should cover Annie Chambers. And we're both like, who is Annie Chambers? All right, let's look into it, see who she is. And we both kind of did a quick um, background on her. There's not a lot out there, but there was a few articles um, because she's from Kansas City, where we are now. Um, so we were able to access them. And we we're both like, oh, my gosh, look at the life this woman led. So we hear about a lot of people from you guys. Um, a lot. We At this point, we've stumbled across in our research of somebody else. I'm not sure which ladies are going to count as obscure exactly, but Sophie Blanchard came from an illustration we once saw. Agrippina the Younger was a friend's fervent request. Hattie McDaniel is an offshoot of having researched for Gone with the Wind. And what a delightful surprise that was. I had no idea the depth of her life. I love her so much. So you never know where inspiration is going to strike. One of our episodes was suggested by an eight-year-old girl, in fact. Teresa on Facebook would like to know, have you ever researched a historical figure and had a strong negative opinion of that person after your research? Uh, yeah, I guess um, the first one that pops to mind is Lizzie Borden. You know, I knew her because of the rhyme. Um, I knew her because I'm from New England and I knew of her name, but I didn't really know her whole story. And once I heard it, I... I I usually think I'm ready to record when I can empathize with the woman, when I can kind of get into her brain and find something likable about her. And I didn't really find a lot in Lizzie, quite honestly. Um, yeah, I would say Lizzie Borden. Okay, super weird. I myself had no trouble empathizing with Lizzie Borden with her horrible father, but I did have a problem with, brace yourselves, Julia Child. <laughs> I am still trying to figure out why she took over those French ladies project and then shoehorned them out of it. You know, well, I was happy. I was so happy going into the research and I was so grumpy coming out of the research. Curiously, the absolute reverse happened with Jane Austen. I thought, OK, here we go. I love Jane Austen's writing, etc. But I didn't think we were going to dig up any magic, but we sure did. So I like Jane Austen better than I did before I began. And I don't like Julia Child as much as I did. It's a bummer. Sarah on Facebook, you guys really want to know a lot about how we research and uh, the processes of the show. I, I Great. That's why we're doing this. How much time do you spend on research and prep a week? Is there anything anyone can do to help or encourage you? Any ideas for history podcasts that aren't a thing yet? Well, how much time do we spend on just on research and prep a week? Oh my gosh, I can't even I can't even quantify it. I don't know because it's in 10 minutes here and an hour there and and then even though we're researching it, we're also um, you know, Beckett, she puts so much into editing the show, but you know, we record for up to 3 hours for an hour or an hour and a half long episode and we have to get half of the show cut out. So that's Beckett's job. So she's doing that while she's researching for the next person. So to her numbers for the big ones, um, mine are going to be a little bit smaller. Um, all right. A lot of bit smaller because I do the show notes. I know I'm not giving a number. I can't. I don't know. Some women it's less because, you know, we know more about them. So we don't have to research as much as some women were coming into cold. And some women's stories are shorter than others. So those wouldn't require as much time, but we're still looking at, you know, 20 hours, maybe. 
all the time there is. I'm serious. All the time there is. You know how um, women have that mind that looks like the roundhouse from a train yard. All the trains are going or at least waiting at the station. I don't know if I can say this more clearly. In my 20s, I didn't sleep because I was out clubbing. In my 30s, I didn't sleep because I had a baby who still doesn't sleep and he's 12. And and now I have a podcast. So there doesn't, you know, there doesn't seem to be any time for having slept ever. I'm pretty used to it, actually. I mean, maybe I'm a really calm person if I get some sleep. You never know. Maybe someday. Um, now, as to openings for History Podcast, there does not seem to be a big English-speaking Latin America show. I think that field is wide open. As to the wonderful request as to whether you can help us in any way, you know the biggest thing you could do for us is to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they now prefer to be called. Um, Or you can tell a few friends about us at the place where you work out or your children's school or this time of year at the pool, wherever you are. Um, Show someone how to download a podcast and, you know, ours preferably, but any podcast that you think they might be interested in, that will help us more than almost anything else. And we really, really appreciate it. Link one on Instagram would like to know, what is the most surprising slash shocking thing you learned while researching one of your subjects? Honestly, my answer is, um, how come I had never heard of Artemisia Gentileschi before? Her story was amazing. It just touched me so much. Um, I loved looking into the history of her art and and that whole time period. It was just so fascinating. And what she did with her life in a world that was dominated by men, not just in her field, but her her life, you know, there was men. And she trailblazed and focused on her skills and her gifts and um, battled a lot of really horrible things in her life. So yeah, why didn't I know about Artemisia Gentileschi before? I have to say almost every show ends up with me surprised or shocked about something, but I do remember vividly the first time it happened to me was when we were researching back in episode two. So again, sound quality might not be what you might wish for, but Abigail Adams was a single parent for years at a time and ran basically a business proxy for her husband for, I mean, for years, he was at the Continental Congress, he was in England on assignment, and she does not even get credit for the advice she gave him or how she held the family together. And I remember feeling, I mean, I you know this in the back of your mind, but I remember feeling so um, shocked that so much of her life is disregarded, erased, or taken for granted. And I remember thinking how much of a shame that was, and it furthered my determination to go on with the show. A lot of people had asked, how do you start a podcast? And I think the question that summed it up best was from uh, Didi on Facebook. A friend of mine and I want to start a podcast. The fact that we're both so freaking busy and we don't have time to sleep is an entirely different story, but we really have no clue how to go about it? Is there a beginner's kit? Do we have to make a sacrifice to the elder gods? Can a tech illiterate figure it out? Is alcohol required? Help, please. Um, We do get um, this question quite a bit because there is, um, what was the last stat I read? 350 new podcasts a week on Apple Podcasts. So that's crazy. That's a lot of new shows. It's great because this is such a 
fabulous medium to work in. Um, How to start a podcast. Okay, I am going to start off with words of encouragement. Make sure you're getting into this for the right reasons. If you have a burning desire to express yourself in this way, go for it. Do it today. I'm going to paraphrase with apologies, Kurt Vonnegut. Go into podcasting. I'm not kidding. Podcasting is not a way to make a living. It is a very human way of making life more bearable. Podcasting, no matter how well or badly you do it, is a way to make your soul grow for heaven's sake. Do it as well as you possibly can. You will get an enormous reward. You will have created something. Obviously, Kurt Vonnegut himself was talking about art, not podcasting, but I think the sentiment stands. Okay, for podcasting, you need four things. The technical aspects, content, persistence, and luck. And there's nobody that can help you, really, with the last three. So I'm going to help you with the first one. You should go to this site. We'll put it in the show notes, helenzoltman.com slash podcasting, and just tick off the list, technically speaking. I mean, really, she is... One of the old guard in podcasting, she's been doing this for almost 15 years, is one of the most highly regarded podcasters in England, and this site is free. Do not let people trick you into paying money for courses about the technical aspects. I just really think there are so many people out there circling around trying to prey on new podcasters when a lot of the old guard are willing to help you for free. I would say when you're beginning, download Audacity. It's editing software and it's free. You can use the mic on your iPhone or the laptop, or you can get a $49 blue snowball and upgrade it later. And I wouldn't invest a lot of money until you're sure you want to proceed. Now, here is the downside of all of this. Most shows will pod fade at episode 10, and there is a giant fall off by episode 100. Don't let that discourage you. Just realistically, also, the median audience for a podcast, and that means... The middle number is 256 listeners per episode. So if you're getting into this to express yourself, if you're getting into this to work with your friend or have a great time, I would say that is exactly what you should do. I'm not sure it is quite the business to get into if you would like to make serious money from a your hobby. That said, please go ahead. Any questions, send us a note. We'll help you and we won't charge you. So the fact that you're so freaking busy and don't have time to sleep is actually going to work in your favor because um, sleep is a thing you can pretty much kiss goodbye, (laughs) or we did anyway. Maybe we're doing something wrong, but um, I have not gotten this little sleep since college, (laughs) and I had babies, but at least the babies went back to sleep and I could rest. Now the day is full, and a lot of times, and and again, Beckett is got more sleepless nights under her belt than I do. But uh, yeah, you're not going to sleep and you're going to be even more busy. I don't know. Our show is so heavily researched and our episodes are edited. A lot of people don't have to do that because they're talking about um, a specific thing. Maybe they it's tied into their business. So their research level isn't as high as ours and is demanding. Um, and a lot of people just go through the show to edit it and take out maybe the ums or the pauses and that's it so um as far as the time commitment mm, i can't actually tell you do you have to make it sacrifice to the elder gods yeah probably and you probably won't realize it until six months down the line what that sacrifice 
was because you made it. Uh, mine is very similar to Beckett's, and I'm sacrificing a lot of time with my kids. Like right now, I had to send my kid off with somebody else to go to a baseball tournament because I'm sitting here. So this is where I want to be, but I also want to be there, but I have to choose. And to get this out, that's the sacrifices we have to make. Plaid Empress on Instagram wants to know what kind of equipment do you use? When we were in the same room here at the giant table in the House of Wood, we used a Scarlet interface, my laptop, and two ATR2100 microphones on boom arms with pop filters. Yes. Uh, most of that is still in place over here, although there's just one of the microphones and uh, one of the boom arms in operation because Susan is in a blanket fort at her house with a different laptop, and I do believe she has a Yeti microphone, um, which is a USB microphone plugged into the side of the computer. I am using propaganda software to edit. Um, it is no longer a supported format. I figure I'll just run this thing into the ground. I like the way it works. I like how forgiving it is. Many people, many, many people use Audacity, which is a free program. However, if you're going to invest and when my propaganda software finally crashes, I am going to go ahead and invest in Hindenburg, which is a professional um, journalist level of editing software. If you're using a Mac, GarageBand works great. Also, I can't recommend enough using the Ophonic Cleaner at the end. And you should take from this, <laughs> our sound quality is often criticized. So maybe ask somebody else. <laughs> but that is what we're using. And uh, I think we are trying to work within the restraints of our environment. And I don't think it's equipment failure. I think it is placement failure and performance failure. <laughs> the end. Flannery McGovern on Instagram would like to know what advice would you give a young woman who hopes to be an historian? We will be the first to admit it. We are not academic historians. You should probably um, ask, let's say, Liz Kovart, for instance, who uh, does Ben Franklin's World, um, because she is an academic historian and does a podcast. So I think um, I have a son who's going to be studying history education. His counselors told us. You know, you go one path if you want to teach, you go another path if you want to be an actual hands-on historian. So um, I don't think that I'm qualified to tell you the answer to that question. In addition to that excellent suggestion that Susan had about listening to Liz Covart and her podcast, Ben Franklin's World, I would say to you, find a mentor at your college, read a lot, read everything you can get your hands on, and most importantly, be skeptical. 80 Oak Ranch on Instagram. How much do we love Instagram names? A lot. I would love to know about the men slash husbands you've researched. Who is the man as far as being a husband, father, all around amazing guy? I have a couple of good ones. Marie Curie's husband, Pierre, was enlightened in that he and she worked together and he gave her full credit for her work. Now the house and the kids were still her sphere exclusively, and unfortunately, he died very early compared to Marie's life and work. Unfortunately, he doesn't get the prize. The prize goes to Lillian Gilbreth's husband, Frank. Oh, wait, he died very early, too. May I, is, that, is that the criteria? Well, anyway, I think that was a true partnership of equals, um, of a man that truly respected her intellect and who truly participated in the work of the household. Although I do not think you would get that sense from reading the book Cheaper by the Dozen. The reality is um, he helped 
to raise those 12 children more than almost any man alive at the time would have been involved with their children. So to Frank Gilbreth, I would have lit my lighter to you, but as it is now, I will simply turn on the flashlight function on my phone and hold it up in the air. Bethany on Facebook. Okay, this tie, this question ties into our Anne with an E episodes, but we thought it was kind of interesting, so we're putting it in here. Um, the Anne with an E recap series is only seven episodes long. We are all, just have a couple more ahead of us before we finish. Um, it was just a side project. We thought it would be fine. We kept our regular you know, women's bios and this episode. Uh, we didn't change that schedule at all. Okay, so here's the question. Would love for you guys to talk about what personality you think Anne is based on the Myers-Briggs scale. I would say that she's an ENFP, energized by people, abstract thinker, feeler, and more spontaneous. People who have the NF are typically noted to be very empathetic. You may not be as much of a nerd about this as I am, but if I talk to someone for more than five minutes, I'm usually trying to figure out what four letters they are. Would love to know where you ladies fall on the test, if anything, to see if my predictions are correct. Well, I'll start off. Your prediction, if your prediction on me was um, ENFP, then you win the prize. I have taken this test so many times in my life. Sometimes they come out in ENFJ, but the ENF is almost always in there. So uh, ENFP, coincidentally, I agree with you. I think Anne was an ENFP. I took the test and I tried, I thought I was taking it as someone else, like, um, you know, like I was trying to get into Anne's mind and, and look at the, it took a long time. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bethany. Uh, it was fun though. So it was, but um, my answer came out the same, ENFP. I agree with you. I thought she was, um, and I, I'm fairly certain Beck is going to disagree, uh, but I thought she was a um, more extroverted than introverted just because she just bubbles up so much when she's around people. I realize she needs to go off by herself a lot and live in her fantasy world, but so do I, and I fall firmly in the extrovert scale. So maybe I was channeling myself, but uh, I got her as an ENFP. I am going to strongly object to the characterization of Anne of Green Gables as an extrovert. No way is Anne an extrovert. She has only one close friend. I don't know. She, I would say, is a classic INFP. So we're just one letter off. The true idealist. She looks for the good in everyone. Um, she has a strong risk of being misunderstood. From the website 16personalities.com, it says, Luckily... INFP's affection, creativity, altruism, and idealism will always come back, rewarding them and those they love with a worldview that inspires compassion, kindness, and beauty wherever they go. And I think that is Anne of Green Gables. Exactly. Now, I would be very interested to know what you chose for me because I am an INTP. Um, for those of you that don't know, that basically means I am a Spock-like curmudgeon. <laughs> There you go. We can give you a link to the 16personalities.com website so you can look up the characterizations of Susan and me and Anne of Green Gables. And I also have a link to a site that has um, purported to type most of the main characters in Anne of Green Gables with their Myers-Briggs personality types. So if you're following along with the Anne of Green Gables podcasts, 
that site is for you. Peyton on Facebook would like to know, are there any women you haven't covered because they are just too dang controversial? Also, I recently binged Downton Abbey on your recommendation, and now I would love another binge-worthy series recommendation from the chicks. Since this was on Facebook, um, a woman named Charlotte did answer her recommending Upstairs Downstairs, and I would agree to that. If you haven't watched Upstairs Downstairs, yeah, do. Also, um, The Crown is really good on Netflix. That's totally binge-worthy. Those would be my two first suggestions. I'm going to chime in here with Supersizers Go on YouTube. Also, while you're there, back in time, back in time for dinner, back in time for the holidays, etc. And if you can get hold of Manor House, which I do not think is on YouTube. Yes, ma'am. Also, Regency House Party is good. And Peyton, um, as far as um, women we haven't covered because they're just too dang controversial, I, I don't think I don't think they're controversial isn't really one of our deal breakers on picking a subject actually controversy is great um so mm, no i can't think of anybody off the top of my head now we pick our subjects like i said before from our gut so there might be somebody that just we just don't want to cover i know there's been people i don't want to cover and i know that for instance um beckett didn't want to cover marie laveau but once we commit to them, we are pretty much committed to them. So a controversy really doesn't have anything to do about it. I actually think the controversialness of the Marie Laveau podcast was, in fact, the lack of real non-salacious story in her life. So she's probably the most controversial person we could have covered. And that didn't phase us at all. We are constantly asked to cover women of the Bible. Now, I don't even know how we would do that. How would we do that without subsidiary material? We never base a show on just one book. So I think, I don't know about controversial, but problematic might be the way to approach that particular question. That is one subject we probably will never cover. Okay, I can't pick favorites, but this might be my favorite question. Uh, Stargazer340 on Instagram wants to know, what is your favorite episode of Star Trek? Which Harry Potter book is your favorite? And what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Well, my favorite episode on Star Trek, um, and quite honestly, you're going to judge me, Stargazer340, because it's the only one that I can think of. It's not a show that I've watched um, anytime in recent memory. So I'm going to have to go with Trouble with Tribbles because I was younger when I watched it and I thought it was so cute, even though they were menacing. Uh, Harry Potter book was your favorite? Well, big surprise here. I never read the books. I watched the movies. I listened to Beckett. I listened to my daughter um, go on about it. So I don't think I'm allowed to comment. And what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Duh, it's 42. So every fandom in the fantasy genre has now fainted. (laughs) Susan assures me that she knows that 42 comes from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and the jury's still out on that one. Uh, Star Trek was never, ever my jam, but I am fond of the real story of the actress Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura, being convinced not to leave the show by Martin Luther King Jr. himself, as she was a positive black role model. So that's my favorite episode, all behind the scenes. Uh, Harry Potter, Goblet of Fire is my favorite Harry Potter book. It's where things start getting um, dark. There's the Quidditch World Cup. There's the Triwizard Tournament and Mad-Eye Moody and Rita Skeeter. It's just delicious. The proper answer to the last question is African or European Swallow. 
you have to know these things when you're a history chick, you know. Incidentally, <laughs> Siri says 24 miles an hour, which proves nothing more than my lovely nerds are every place. Okay, here's one just for Beckett. Emma on Facebook would like to know, you said you studied theater in school. What is your favorite play or musical, either that you've been a part of or of all time? Also, how did you meet your husband? I keep hearing you and Susan make reference to it, and it sounds like a cool story. It is a cool story. Okay, it's your story. I'll be quiet. Well, my favorite musical is, in fact, not Hamilton, but Matilda. Uh, I love a lot of the songs in it, especially the song Quiet and the song Naughty. Those are my two favorites. I think they have some cleverness to the lyrics that I really like. And I like the concept of the people around me, their mouths are still moving. The words they are saying do not reach me anymore. You see, I'm really a curmudgeon. So I like Matilda. Um, I enjoyed the most working. I can't even believe I'm saying this because it was such hell at the time. I enjoyed being in a 66 show run of the show Annie. I still remember a lot of the choreography to It's a Hard Knock Life because since I was also a member of the child cast and the adult cast, that's the benefit of being five feet tall. You're um, cheap, versatile is what they would say. <laughs> cheap is what I'm saying. Um, I had to learn all that choreography by stating it out loud. So I still remember step, step, knee, knee, step, step, knee, knee, roll and reach, back kick, kick and up and down. That's got to make a mark. So I really liked being in Annie the most. Now, how did I meet Chris? I don't even know. Is this, a, I don't know if this is an interesting story or not. But anyway, uh, my friend and I, keep in mind we're 23, we decided that men were too much trouble. We were done. We had had it. It was very disappointing to be alive, et cetera. You know how you are when you're 23. And we decided we would dress up and we would go out for one last night on the town and see what happened. And then otherwise we were going to get lots of cats and, you know, learn to make good cheesecake. And that was going to be the end of it. You know, sweatpants, the end. <laughs> You're so hilarious. Anyway, we dressed up to the nines and we went out to a club that we never went to. And of course, as happens when your expectations are high, um, I don't know. What were we? Dork magnets? I don't know. It didn't work out. My friend by 1030 was ready to go. Okay, okay, I said, okay. Let me just go look at my guy one more time. This man that was surrounded by his friends. And, you know, you're not going to talk to a guy like that. But I had been noticing him. I was just going to swing by the table give him another look and I would meet her by the door. She's totally disgusted at me. She goes to leave. And so I think, you know what? I don't come here. Who cares? So I walked up to this man and I said, I just wanted to tell you, you are the most handsome man I've ever seen in my life. Above his head, I see my friend throw up her hands and walk out the door. So I panicked and I said, I have to go. And I cruised and he followed me and he uh, reciprocated my interest we agreed to meet the next day. And as I recall, I kind of hopped all the way to the car and skipped all the way to the car, which made my friend even madder. She just dropped me off at home. We were going to hang out and have pizza, but she was over me. The next day I met Chris is his name. And he was so anxious because he was running late that he leaped out of his convertible before it even stopped. And his passenger had to jump into the driver's seat and push on the brake. <laughs> and he was worried that I would leave before he got there. And I was, in fact, coming out the door. Okay, from that moment, 30 hours later, we had the same address. Less than six months later, we uh, were married. That's the whole story. It was love at first sight, and that was 23 years ago. And Emma would like to know, Susan, what kind of things do you write, and what is a genre you would like to write but haven't? Okay, 
I am a freelance writer. Right now, the only thing that I do on a regular basis is write um, a column every week in the Kansas City Star. And it is a slice of life column. Um, Sometimes I think they're touching and heartwarming. Um, Sometimes they're funny, but it's all very real life things that go on in my life that I think are relatable to other people. Um, I try to reveal lessons that I've learned. Mostly it's me screwing up and figuring out what the lesson is from the situation. So that's my column in the star. It's every week and um, you can get to it by Googling my name in Kansas City Star or following me on Twitter and I post um, whenever it gets posted online. I have written um, novels that are not published. (laughs) I guess I'm not a good novelist, but it's actually what I love to do. So I'll just keep writing them in my spare time, which because of the show, I don't really have a lot of. Um, we did challenge ourselves a couple years. Beckett and I did NaNoWriMo together. We have a Facebook group of listeners who um, came together because of NaNoWriMo. I think Beckett and I, our relationship kind of changed a little bit because of it for the better, because we kind of supported each other through it. She had this bunch of things that happened, like her car broke down when she was in Nebraska and um, she didn't have anything but paper. And, you know, so I love doing that. I would write more novels. I have ideas for an entire series and the genre I write in is the genre I would like to write in. So there isn't one that um, I haven't tried that I want to. Mostly I write women's, mostly. It sounds like I have a lot. I think probably I have seven that are in my file in various stages of completion. They're at least gotten to the end. They're at least rough drafts. But I love to write about modern day interpretations of historical women's relationships like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Their relationship I carry with me every single day. I just loved it so much. I thought it was so real and so supportive of each other. Jane Austen and her sister Cassandra you know, uh, Lucy and Ethel, those are just some of the ones that I've written about, but they're not Lucy and Ethel. It's, you know, modern interpretations of their stories. That's what I like to write. I don't publish it. (laughs) I just write it. Erin on Facebook would like to know how many books from your suggestions have you gone out and bought just to read again, other than To Marry an English Lord, obviously. Obviously, Erin, you know us so well. We love that book. It started the show. I did a quick count of my Kindle and my bookshelves, and I came up with 40. Um, (laughs) That doesn't mean that I have actually reread them. It just means that they made such a mark on me that I bought them or and this is actually the majority of them. I couldn't find a certain book in my library. I couldn't find it on Audible. So I had to buy it so that I could read it because it related to the subject. So um, that's where most of them come from. And you didn't ask, but I'll tell you, my favorite one um, that I actually have reread is The Watch That Ends the Night. It's about the Titanic and it's these I read it because it's short stories and poems <laughs> um, about the passengers and the last night of the Titanic. I it, I thought it was such a creative way to look at the story of the Titanic. Let's see. Versailles, A Biography of a Palace by Tony Spaforth. All of the Philippa Gregory books about the Tudors. Um, Antonia Fraser's Marie Antoinette. Also, my husband has been using our Pinterest board, the books we recommend Pinterest board for gift recommendations for himself, for me, for years. So I think 
can't really separate which ones I bought and which ones he bought, but I own a large percentage of the books on that Pinterest board. Corrine on Facebook wants to know, do your kids complain about the podcast? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, they do. My books are everywhere. My free time is spent, you know, researching women. And um, when we record, the house has to be quiet for up to three hours. And yeah, they they complain about it a lot. But they also realize that it's important to me. And it's teaching them some good lessons. So I hated my mom's job, too. So I totally understand it. Does he complain? No, not even when I had to cancel the downtown street water slide field trip we had planned. He is a very generous little person. I feel very lucky to have him. Um, even when he's kind of disappointed in the time I have to spend doing this, he really understands. I don't know if it's watching YouTube channels and understanding how much work goes into those because he sure is obsessed with YouTube channels or a genuine understanding of what I'm doing over here, but he is the best. Now, Henry the cat complains all the time. You've all heard him. And I think Mr. Graham would rather I not walk around with eyes like burnt holes in my head from lack of sleep and would like to see a higher return on investment, as they say, financially. But everyone around here, I think, is on board, um, except for Henry, who does not comprehend why he cannot lay on this laptop. So two thirds of the creatures in the house are very, very supportive. Okay, this one, this question actually got a belly laugh, and I'm pretty sure she didn't intend it to. Jess LB 1990 on Instagram would like to know, do you and your families like to listen to the episodes once they are posted? This is me waiting for Beckett to stop laughing because <laughs> no. Uh, my husband has actually never listened to a full episode. My kids haven't either. And here's the thing. By the time we record, I am full. I, we say we obsess about these women. I am full on whoever it is we're talking about. Full on Marie Laveau the last time. I'm talking about Marie Laveau all the time. They are so tired of Marie Laveau. Her books are all over the place. And, you know, I'm like always, I was finding all this stuff about her. They're done. They want no part of it. I do listen to the episodes once they are posted because I haven't heard them. Beckett does all the editing, so I haven't heard the finished product yet. So I do listen to it. But uh, yeah, no, mm -mm. my families, we do not sit around and listen to the episodes once they're posted. I'm sorry. I do get to talk about um, my with my son, who is going to be a history education major in college this year. I get to talk history with him a lot more than anybody else. And with my daughter... Um, whenever I find a woman that did something really remarkable that I think she might find empowerment from, I'll tell her as little as possible. And if she has more questions, she'll ask me. But yeah, it's pretty much not something that we ever do. I do not listen to the show once it's done. I liken it a little to the fact that if I've seen the raw meat in the kitchen, I lose my appetite for eating it later. Honestly, by the time a regular biography comes out, I've probably heard it 12 times, but in pieces that I've had to break apart and reassemble. Don't look behind the curtain, this <laughs> is what I'm saying. Now, Mr. Graham listens on road trips. I have got him hooked on The Crown, which he now watches without me, although I don't know if he knows that I know that, if that makes sense. 
Now, Jet likes hearing highlights. He likes for me to tell him stories like the Henry VIII, the golden boy who grew up to be a wackadoo and all the drama. He loves that story. Um, Josephine Baker outsmarting the Nazis. Nellie Bly pretending to be insane and, you know, her trip around the world. He likes the story of Cleopatra's trip down the Nile in her purple sailed boat with all that incense. Um, He's particularly tickled about the fact that everyone ran down to see her and abandoned this guy who was giving a speech in the auditorium. Um, Yeah, he he just thinks that's so hilarious. Um, The soldier who thought Clara Barton was his sister makes him kind of feel upset. You know, just little tiny pieces with some hand gestures and interpretive dance are more what my family needs. Maybe I do need a video podcast that is less than five minutes long. (laughs) Someday. W. Taylor on Instagram would like to know, many of the women you profile were allowed unfettered access to books as children. What books sparked your love of reading in general and history in particular? I was a voracious reader as a child. I read everything. So, and I was given, just like these kids, I was given access to everything. My parents had a, Um, leather-bound collection of Shakespeare that I, you know, I was attempting to read at a really young age. I was reading, you know, magazines that came into the house, you know, Newsweek and Life magazine. That's how old I am. Uh, The newspaper. I would read the newspaper from front to end. Any books we could get our hands on. My brothers and I, we lived on a boat in the summertime, so um, we didn't really have a lot of space, and Kindles were not yet invented. So, uh, we would buy, you know, like five books a piece and take them with us and then we'd trade them all off. So I didn't really read as many as like girl books as possible. Interesting story. I read Jaws when I was on um, Martha's Vineyard on the water. I'm in a boat reading Jaws in the place where they filmed the movie. That was kind of freaky. But uh Yeah, so I was across the board, but my first loves, I would have to say, my first literary love was Harriet the Spy. Mm, I loved her. Even though an egg cream doesn't taste anything like you think it's going to taste. Well, I watched Jaws on a big screen while floating in a swimming pool. So how's that for a surreal experience? (laughs) But the books, let's see, I read, let's call it between, say, six and ten that I think influenced me the most would be, of course, the Little House books. And my favorite childhood book from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, in which two children run away from home and stay for quite a long time in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, Island of the Blue Dolphins really hit me. And Johnny Tremaine, which is a story of revolutionary New England. And then I had a Richard Scarry cartoon book called Mein Allerschönstes Wörterbuch, which is kind of like a multi-language dictionary that has German and French and English in it. Yes, I am that sort of a child. Maybe I should post a picture of that one. Krista on Facebook would like to know, and actually somebody else had asked this question as part of another one. Is there anything we can do to help you, like pictures, research help, fan mail? Is there something we can give you to make your load lighter and encourage you? Just asking that question encourages me. Understanding that it takes us a very long time to get back to you on email. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes an answer comes quickly, but they take a long time. And understanding that is actually quite encouraging. I honestly don't know how someone would use research help. I don't know how we would do that. 
I do know, um, oh, shoot, I wish I had her name in front of me. She was amazing. She sent us a list of all of our shows organized by era and then by date and then by subject matter. So all the authors were together and all the royalty was together. It was beautiful. And we do have plans to put that on our website. It was so helpful because it's something we had always thought we should be doing. Um, and provide for you guys because some people just want to listen about queens or they want to listen to the show in chronological order and uh, we'd love to be able to provide that so her doing that and just sending it to us was extraordinarily helpful I would say yeah that was great I am going to stop short of actually requesting this but some shows like MuggleCast Guess what that covers? Harry Potter books and movies, of course. And also the Gilmore Guys podcast have had listeners transcribe their shows. Now, I think that's a lot of work and I'm not sure anybody would want to take that on. I don't know. It just seems like it seems like too much work for for someone to do. But if that's your thing, if you um, might like to volunteer to transcribe an episode just to see how it goes. We've had requests for transcripts, and we have not been able to provide them due to that old bugabear time, of course. So anyway, I'm not requesting this, but if anyone would like to volunteer, we might be interested in at least sending a trial balloon of one or two episodes up to see if there's even any interest in rolling that out for all the episodes. Just throwing that out there. Maureen Clayton on Instagram asks, you seem well-matched in disposition. What characteristics do you admire in each other? I love this so much. Um, Okay. Yes, I do agree with you. We are very well-matched in disposition. And I, again, have to give all the credit to Beckett because she picked me. Um, She had this idea in her head for a long time. And I think she was looking at every woman that she met and talked with with this in the back of her head saying, would that be a good co-host? So she's she gets the matchmaking credit completely. Um, I think she picked someone who thought um, about life a little bit differently than she does, who came from a different background and represented a different type of person. Yeah, I think we are well-matched because the things that we disagree on are things that we can be very respectful of each other about and um, the things that we agree on, which are actually greater, just enhance our relationship. But um, she's way smarter than me. There's no question. I'm not even in the room with that line. I often think that we get along so well because we're polar opposites. We come at almost everything from different viewpoints. Uh, Let's see. I really admire Susan's diligence. She sure keeps me on the straight and narrow with regard to quite a few things, I can tell you. Um, I'm a big rebel and I would just as soon not do things um, I don't feel like doing. And um, she makes me and she convinces me to do things. She's a good conscience. Um, She's also a great cheerleader. Anytime you're a little bit down or you feel overwhelmed, she's the first person um, to send you a funny picture or a word of encouragement or a little message on your phone. She's a very thoughtful person. Um, like she remembers things that I mentioned kind of offhandedly. For example, she just gave me a bottle of Sofia Coppola pink wine that I think we might have talked about in episode one. She gave it to me for my birthday this year. She'll do anything for somebody that she's friends with. And that is a very admirable quality. Infinite amounts more. 
of course. But Susan said in the top of the episode, she doesn't want gushing. So I am going to be considerate and just give her 10 out of 10 stars. Let's leave it at that. Jesse on Facebook would like to know, who would you love most to do an episode on but can't? Which ladies in history are your role models? Really, they're, unless they're still alive or we're kind of in a mourning period for them, because we like to give a respectable amount of time after a woman passes before we cover her, um, there really isn't anybody that we can't do an episode on. Um, we're an independent podcast. Even though we're part of the Panoply Network, we are independently produced and um, we are the bosses of ourselves, so we can cover anybody we want. Personally, I am looking forward to the day when we can lift the veil of mourning off of Maya Angelou and talk about her life, because that I'm really looking forward to. And as far as um, my historical women role models, I actually get a lot of inspiration from Nellie Bly. Um, I, even, I even went as far as to buy our own t-shirt that says, I said I could and I would and I did, which is a Nellie Bly quote. And um, it's kind of my motto. I think if I were to get an, something tattooed on me in words, it would be that. So I take that. And I also take a little bit of Dolly Madison because Dolly Madison faced a lot of hurdles and she did it so elegantly. Um, And she was so skilled at reading people and um, matching up people and working behind the scenes and, you know, just being in control with those pretty gloves on that I, I kind of admire that, you know, like it's like ninja control. Nobody knew that she was manipulating the room except her. And that was, she was brilliant at that. So I was going to go out on a limb here, not having heard Susan's response yet and say that I was going to bet that Susan picked Elizabeth Cady Stanton for assorted reasons because she so often does. But I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to say, now keep in mind, I'm the wife of a chef who's never home. And as I was revisiting Abigail Adams the other day, I started to think about how similar our situations really are. Our husbands are gone almost all the time. So the house is left to us, the child rearing is left to us, the business is left to us. And a lot of times there are a lot of burdens on our mental capacities, but there's true love at the bottom of it and duty to the bigger picture and a true need to express yourself and do a good job in as many aspects of your life as possible. So I guess I'm going to say Abigail Adams now for sheer, I don't know, courage and um, there's so many people I could look up to for assorted amounts of courage, assorted kinds of courage. I can't even pick one. Um, how do you? I don't even know. There's an infinite amount of ways to be awesome, I think, is the lesson I'm taking from almost every single one of our episodes. I don't think there are any episodes we want to do but can't. We're pretty independent. I don't think... Oh, you know what? There is one. We've already sort of talked about them. The Schuyler sisters, there's just not enough information yet. There are people digging into the primary source material and we don't really have the travel freedom or in fact the years of research necessary to do such a thing. So I guess that's the only one I can think of. There's just not enough what I would consider to be reliable information available to us to construct an episode out of yet. All speculative and not in the nature of a thorough narrative. Mrs. Jasmine Posey on Instagram wants to know, if you were going on an all-expense-paid vacation with someone from history, who would it be? Uh, Lizen Roberts wanted to know, if you had a two-week vacation, any place, any time, where would you go? Which I think we just answered a little while back. 
Okay, if I had an all-expense-paid vacation with someone from history, who would it be? I would love a Parisian tour by Julia Child. I, Beckett and I disagree on Julia Child a little bit. Um, I thought she was amazing, and I would totally be friends with her, you know, if she'd let me. But, um, yeah, I would love her to give me a tour of Paris. That would be fantastic. Okay, remember that Jane Austen modern friend from before? So I'm going to take modern Jane Austen and Dorothy Parker with me. I don't really think it matters where we go. We could sit by a pool on top of some hotel on the plaza in Kansas City for all I care. But what if we take both of them, say, to Greece or the island of Capri? We have a villa, we have delicious food and lots of wine, and we're all outside exchanging witticisms. I think that would be awesome. Um, As to an all-expense-paid vacation that is more historical and educational in nature, that's going to stay the same for me, Versailles, and a couple of curators. Carly on Facebook would like to know, what are you both looking forward to this summer? Okay, well, I do take my family on um, vacation, although this summer it's just me and two of my kids. Um, We have a family reunion on Martha's Vineyard um, every year, and so I get to see my twin brother and my mom and his family, and it was where I went as a kid for summer vacations, and I love that I can take my kids there and that that's their happy place too, so... Um, that's what I am most looking forward to this summer because right after we get back, I have to send my first to go away to college. My daughter is older, but, but she is a commuter student to college right now, although she just graduated and she'll be going away too, but she's taking a gap. You don't need to know any of that, but, um, he goes away and I think I'm going to cry a lot. So, uh, yeah, that vineyard vacation is going to be great. Longtime listeners will know that we go every year to my mother-in-law's house, which is a turn-of-the-century church building, and uh, we make sure to take the Island Oasis machine for the pool, and that's not very wholesome, I guess. So I, uh, let's see, I planted, among other things, black heirloom tomatoes and black bell peppers and purple lettuces, so I'm sure looking forward to that kind of punk rock salad, unless all these bunnies eat it first. In which case, I might be looking forward to eating some bunnies. Sarah on Facebook and Mermad on Twitter. Who is on your list of future episodes? My goodness, do you think we'd like plan out a whole year in advance? We don't. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. We don't. Um, When we have planned in the past, we end up changing it. So we're only uh, a couple episodes out in our heads. There are people that we know we're going to be covering in the future, we don't, just don't know when, so we're kind of like starting to think about them and learn about them. But mm, there's some, yeah, like they'll come up and I'm like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, I don't, I need more than three weeks. Now, if you mean who is on the master list that we choose subjects from, who isn't on our list for future episodes? You guys are very, very thorough in sending us subject suggestions and do keep them coming because if a lady's on the list, we make a little mark next to her name and sometimes... Not always, but sometimes those marks are enough to push someone over the edge into us checking out library books and beginning the process. So you never know. You never know. No one's off the table as long as they're a lady. Mom's pick of the day on Instagram asks, everyone knows about enslaved Africans during the antebellum era. Would you do an episode on Native Americans during the same time? Heck yeah, we would. Um, we have uh, several, many, I would say, um, categories of women like um, World War II pilots or female pirates. You know, there's all kinds of lists of women 
that um, oh, Civil War spies, women spies in the Civil War. That's that's a longer list than you would know. So um, yeah, it would be great to cover them sometime. I would love it. We do try our best to expand our. Um, our reach as far as where we're going when we are comfortable with a culture uh, because a lot of them the cultures are foreign to us literally and figuratively Uh, so we need to learn about the culture and just at least be comfortable enough to put somebody into it and talk about it of course we have native americans on the list that we would like to talk about from the revolutionary war era and the war of 1812 era And when you get to the Civil War, my goodness, does history start to fracture for not only, you know, North and South, but also between tribes that had been historically neighborly and friendly. I'm just thinking of, say, the Cherokees and Creeks here, but there's tons more stories. Even within tribes, people were kind of left to make individual decisions and the tribes kind of split up within themselves. And I not sure how we would integrate women's history so much into this without maybe a more specific suggestion as to a woman with enough coverage, enough material that we could turn her into an episode. I do foresee, however, that during a possible uh, general Women of the Civil War podcast episode, we could have a section on the ways that the war affected women in the Native American community. But If you do have a suggestion as to someone specific that we could dive into, we would be glad to hear it. KBrahman92 on Instagram. Would you do an episode about anyone alive? Love to hear about J.K. Rowling. Yeah, she is inspirational. And her story isn't over. So I'm sure Becky can think of a situation of a woman that we might cover while they were still alive. But I, my mind doesn't even go there. I, we like them to be have their stories finished, to be building, you know, the legacy that survives after them before we go back and look at their lives. So um, if they're still alive, there's so, I mean, J.K. Rowling, hello, that woman has got a lot of stuff in her future that she's going to do. And it would do her a disservice, I think, to cover her life now. And it would just make us like, uh, you know, like a news magazine. And that's not our thing. So um I can't think about any women that are alive still that I would like to cover. No, I don't think we'll ever do an episode on anyone who's still alive, but I might consider doing one a little closer to us. For example, the Queen Mum has come up quite a lot, and I might be into that. Princess Diana, of course, comes up a lot. And, you know, so maybe we'll start covering people from as recently as the 80s or 90s. I think we can start moving up our unwritten criteria for that. Now, that said, I would love to speak to J.K. Rowling for any reason at all. We're not an interview show, but if she would like to pick a subject for us to cover on the show and uh, make a special appearance as a guest host, I'm certainly in. Peyton on Facebook and Morgan Hannah F. on uh, Instagram want to know if there's any chance of rooster episodes and who would be at the top of the list. Yes, Henry VIII tops that list on my own personal list. Um, I have Charlie Chaplin at the top of my list because I that is my favorite era during the 20s and the 30s. Um, I personally, I don't know a whole lot about Charlie Chaplin. So I would like to find out if the movie with Robert Downey Jr., how accurate that was. So um, that, that's who tops my own personal rooster list. 
as for any chance, yeah, it's one of those things that we're like, we, we're going to do this. That's our next thing. We are going to start covering. And we almost did earlier this year, but we just, it had to get put on a back burner because there was just too much on our plates. Yes, on the rooster episodes. As a matter of fact, we've kind of lined up some male volunteer co-hosts to join that party. So that should be exciting. Time, of course, like everything we do is of the essence. It's always a constant problem. Uh, not only our time, but our co-hosts. And okay, so let's see. Top of the list, you mentioned Charlie Chaplin. Um, I would include on my personal list, Mark Twain. Doesn't he show up a lot? Frederick Douglass, Ernest Hemingway. I'd love to do a fictional Superman. Maybe even a Genghis Khan or a Julius Caesar. So stay tuned. We can find some spare time somewhere and pull that off. It would be a dream come true. So um, we had a long list of can you covers. Um, and I will say they were presented to us by Faith Allen 99, Ivy Marie, both of those on Instagram, on Facebook, Peyton, Nikki May, Kathy, Heather, Vanessa, Amanda, Vaudrey, Amy, another Amy, um, the Golden Mama, Sophie, and Genevieve, both of those last two are on Twitter, and they presented us with this list. <clears throat> Audrey Hepburn, Lily Pulitzer, Bronte Sisters, Gwenly and the Welsh Warrior Princess, Frances Perkins, Bodica, Isabella of Castile, Francis Perkins and Other Ladies of Labor, Coco Chanel and Women of Fashion, Rosalind Franklin, Manuela Sands, infamous women like Elizabeth Bathroy, Marianne Cotton, Bonnie Parker, Women Pirates, Catalina de Erasso, The Warrior Nun, Dr. Alice Hamilton, The American Girl Dolls, Women of Salem, Radical Women like Emma Goldman, Voltairine de Clare, and Lucy Parsons. So as you can hear in my mispronunciation of some of those names, um, I've only seen them in writing. So those are just some suggestions that we've gotten um, in two days. So yeah, it's a little accelerated, but we get suggestions all the time. We love it. They go right into our book. I don't answer all those emails. I will tell you that. They go onto the list. Our, our master list is what we call it. Heather on Facebook would like to know, has there been a cast on women of New York in the early 1900s? I'm not talking about famous people, just everyday life. Uh, yeah, Becca did a, um, a mini cast on um, Gilded Age era servants. We've only done one of what I would consider to be an everyday person podcast, and that was way back, sometime in the teens, episode-wise, uh, the 1950s Housewife podcast. So maybe it is time to get another group of ladies, metaphorically, in a room and talk about their lives. I, I once went to a history class that was all based on advertising, specifically department store advertising, which of course all began in the Gilded Age, and I think... That might be a fascinating thing to start to dive into. So that was a very good suggestion. And our last question comes from Sarah on Facebook. A while ago, you mentioned doing an episode on the governess and her unique role in Gilded Houses. So I'm wondering, when will you do that episode? Um, yeah, we actually, I know this is, this is like, if I have to point out our faults, this is one of them, is that while we're talking and our our show is conversational. So it's just like something comes to us. So we say it. 
said things like this. Yes, I'd love to do a show about the governesses. That would be so much fun. That would be great. But you're right. We haven't. And it's not um, <laughs> it's not on the docket right now. Sarah Olson wanted to know, what has been your favorite episode? We get this question a lot. And it's so hard to pick one. You know, was it my favorite because it was fun to do? It was a fun conversation I had with my friend. Or was it fun to do because I loved a woman I didn't know I was going to love? Or, you know, and and even then, the memory of the show changes in my head. I I will give a different answer every day if I'm forced to give one. And um, I don't feel forced right now. So (laughs) I'm going to say... I can't pick a favorite episode. I enjoyed a lot of them. I had the most fun, I think, doing the 50s Housewives episode. I thought that was so much fun to research. um, And the conversation was so fun. But so was Ella Fitzgerald. That was so, I mean, all that music we got to listen to and uh, just talking about her life and realizing all the stuff that we hadn't known before. That was so fun. So Julia Child, I cooked from the Julia Child cookbook. Wicked fun. Um, yeah, I can't. I, don't make me pick. Please don't don't make me pick. I can't. <laughs> Favorite episode. Okay, so I'm actually going to pick one. I'm going to pick number nine, Gilded Age Heiresses and her friends. Number eight, the Mrs. Astor. And number 10, Jenny Jerome Churchill. Since really it was my interest in the likes of them that got this whole thing started in the first place. So we owe them kind of a debt of gratitude, if I do say so myself. Thank you for all your amazing questions. And um, I love hearing from you guys. I love meeting you. And it's an honor to be able to answer your questions. So thank you so much for giving us that. And now, if you don't mind, I personally am looking forward to stepping behind the curtain a little bit more and talking about someone else's life. Our conversations don't have to be restricted to our Q&A episodes. You can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram or over on Twitter where we are the History Chicks with an X, which is a long story. Our Pinterest boards are updated nearly daily, much to my shame. And yes, we all want to see your vacation photos. Ideally, they'd have some connection to history, but pretty scenery is always welcome too. Over on Instagram, just use the hashtag History Chicks Field Trip and we'll all be able to see them. Thanks so much to James Harper for our interim music. You can find him at harperactive.bandcamp.com. And the end song is Daughters of History by Morning Spy. That will do it for this time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.
It's the devil in the whiskey night me It's the devil in the whiskey It's the devil in the whiskey night